Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. This morning we're going to talk about what is the problem with Jesus. But I want to review just a few things that we said that Tim has already covered for us. And the question is, how can we best be faithful to our calling in a world where it will never be normal to be Christian? Now, one time it may have been normal to be Christian. Worldview was, is that, of course, if you're an American, you're Christian. But that's changing. That worldview has changed drastically. So we said a worldview is a way of seeing all of reality. And every worldview can be analyzed by the way it answers these three basic questions. Where do we come from? And who are we? Basically creation. What has gone wrong with the world? The fall of man. And what can we do to fix it? And that's redemption. The secular worldview sees the world like this. The feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judgment is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. We just can't know anything for sure. There's no objective truth. Everything is relative. It's what you believe. What is your truth? That's the worldview today. The biblical worldview is the Bible is the ultimate guide. Holiness is the ultimate goal. Mankind is the ultimate sinner. And God is the ultimate focus. And we said if you're wavering between these views and you've never really come to a point to where you've made a decision, this is what I believe and this is what I'll base my life on, that you can be in a real danger zone. Not quite sure what you believe not really sure where you're going, not really sure what your life is about, and especially as believers, as followers of Christ, if you come upon someone who has a different worldview, a secular worldview, and you try to explain a biblical worldview, you run into this danger zone because you really haven't decided or know yourself. The Bible says that we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And so there's a lot of confusion today of what And how we're supposed to look at our world today. So this morning we're going to be looking at the problem of Jesus. You say, I don't have a problem with Jesus. Ask most people, do you have a problem with Jesus? No, I don't have a problem with Jesus. But if you ask some people about Jesus and who he is and what he claimed to be, well, most people say, well, he's a good moral teacher. There's some great things. Follow the golden rule. I think we should try to live like him. And so those questions are out there depending on what your worldview is, how you view Jesus. So when you say Jesus of Nazareth, what do you think about when you hear that? One thing you have to admit, and even someone with a secular worldview has to admit, is there is really never no one who has walked this earth that was quite like Jesus of Nazareth or has had the impact that he has had through all of these thousands of years since he walked this earth. He was the biggest influencer ever. We worked on a house, uh, Kelly and I, not too long ago, that that the lady that uh, owned the home, she was an online influencer. And she had her house just decorated inside with all of the latest things. They'd send her these things for free. 
And then she posted on Facebook about her house. Everything was just set just right. And she's called an influencer. You can have a job being an influencer now just sitting at your house and promoting certain things. What a great way to have a job. Have them send you free stuff. You post it, and man, you get paid for it. Well, if ever there was an influencer, it was Jesus. No one has had the impact on the world or the longevity of the impact on the world as Jesus has. And so what you think about him truly does matter. How we look at Jesus and what we do with him, not just how we look at him, but how we look at Jesus and what we do with him defines the fate of every person in the world in all eternity. Now that's a pretty big influence, wouldn't you say? How you view him is going to determine how you will spend eternity. And so whether we believe in Jesus or whether we believe in another God, whether we believe in the worldview, it really comes down to this ultimate question is that what we do with Jesus is going to affect us eternally. And not only eternally, it's going to affect us right now. How you view Jesus right now is going to determine how you deal with your finances. Isn't that right? How you view Jesus right now is going to deal, is going to, uh, have consequences on the person that you marry or the goals of your life or how you handle tragedy or how you handle grief in your life. How you view Jesus. If you're an atheist, if you don't view Jesus as anybody, just a, a man, a historical figure, then when a loved one dies, that's it. They're done. They're dust. They go back to whatever. They're, they're stardust or whatever. And that's it. So how you view Jesus is going to affect everything, even in this life right now. But the question and the answer to these things doesn't really start with us. It starts with Jesus and who, who he said he was. And if we don't really understand who Jesus said he really was, then we're not going to have a proper biblical view. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, one thing that you have to come away from, if you truly understand who Jesus said he was, that what he said was absolutely scandalous. It was scandalous. A lot of times we think of Jesus and we see the, this guy that would just kind of walk the earth, you know, and he was loving and he was understanding. He was meek and mild. You know, the felt board Jesus that we grew up with in Sunday school. Jesus, the one that had all the sheep walking around with him, and he just kind of walked really slow, and, you know, and sat down and talked to people in a nice, calm voice. That may be the Jesus that you think about. We don't really think of anything too scandalous about Jesus. What could be scandalous about a guy like that? And if that's all we see about him. A scandal is something when you've got, when you said something or you've done something that has just got people gossiping about it. It's what they talk about around the, the water cooler. If that, that was a term that, you know, you gathered around the gossip in the office and you talked about it. It was just, it was on Facebook. Everybody, the, the latest meme that's going on there and on, on Twitter and Instagram, it's just like, did you hear about this? Or did you see this? Did you see what they said? And it just, it's gone, gone viral is what happens. And that's the way it was with Jesus. The things that he said, the things that he claimed, it went viral back. There was front page news and the problem with Jesus is he said some things that no one has ever said before. No one said these things. You don't, some of these things didn't make sense to those who were listening to him. Kind of left you scratching your head. 
There's things that Jesus says today that leaves people scratching their head. What, what in the world is he talking about? The disciples, same thing. They didn't understand everything was said. And so this was a scandal of it. C.S. Lewis said this, the scandal is that among these Jews, there turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. And when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. One of the greatest writers, C.S. Lewis, that was his quote. So he's saying, these Jews, and hearing what Jesus said about himself was scandalous. No one had ever uttered words like Jesus had uttered. And so that's where we come to that question, is what do you do with the things that Jesus said and who he claimed to be? To the Jews, it was like, crucify him, stone him, blasphemous, and we're going to get to those reasons why in just a minute. But what about the worldview of how they look at Jesus right now? Tim McGraw, everybody knows Tim McGraw right now is because he's on a big series right now, 1883, is that it? Has anybody watched that? Oh, yeah, you don't want to admit it. That's what it is. Yeah, I know the language is pretty over the top, isn't it? This is Tim McGraw. Of course, he's a country music singer also. He says, I know if I told you of what God looked like and felt like, then I'd be telling you a story. I just don't think we know. God manifests himself, herself, or itself in a way that we need it, in a way that we can grab a hold of, in a way that we can put our arms around. Isn't that deep? In other words, God just whoever we need him to be, that's all God is, whether it's him or her or it, something out. That's, that's, that's a worldview right there. Another worldview is this. John Lennon, of course, of the Beatles, he said, Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting that ruins it for me. Just all right. Then Mr. T, I, I'm not going to do Mr. T. <laughs> You got to testify. <laughs> Something like Tell somebody about God's good. I pity the fool that don't get it. Okay? So God's good. That's his worldview. God's good. God's good for everybody. Doobie Brothers said, Jesus is just all right with me. Everybody remember that song? Jesus is just all right with me. Somebody tapping their foot back there already? And then Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood said this. She says, I'm a Christian person. And I do love the Lord, and I feel no matter who you are or what you believe, how you live your life, it's not my place to judge. I don't have that power. I don't want that power. It's my place to love and to show God's love to other people, even if they don't live a life like I live. That's a pretty good statement, except for the part, it doesn't really matter what you believe. I think there are consequences if you have a biblical view of what you believe. And then there's Justin Bieber. Colton, I know that's your favorite singer. No, I don't think so. Then there's Justin Bieber who says this, the success, the success I've achieved comes to, comes to me from God. I can't even hardly get that out. The success. So God is just all about my success. You know, when somebody does, makes a, a slam dunk or wins the game, it's like, it's me and you, God. See all those other guys? They prayed too, but they didn't get their prayers answered because, uh, you know, I got my line to heaven. It's me and you. And so they define it by their success. And that's who they think Jesus is. That's our worldview. But at some point, 
we are all faced with this question. What do we do with Jesus? And who do we say Jesus is? Was he a prophet? Was he a moral teacher? Was he a heretic? Was he the son of God? So who is Jesus? And what is the problem with what he had to say and who he was in our world today? So for many, that's a real problem when it comes down to making a choice of these things. A lot of people say, yeah, he's a prophet, a moral teacher. A Some people call him a heretic. But when it comes to that last one, the Son of God, and the thing we're going to talk about this morning, that's when the scandal starts. That's when the problem with Jesus really starts. That's when things start going awry. And so people are asking, and the questions come up, did re Jesus really exist? That's the thing right now today that a lot of people are asking. Is there actually proof for historic Jesus? A lot of our kids who have come and been raised in church, they go into secular colleges, and then the professor gets up, and even in some, quote, Christian colleges that have traditionally been Christian colleges, and the, the professor gets up, and starts laying out what their proof is and what their science is and what they think and their worldview if Jesus ever really even existed on this earth. What proof is there besides the Bible? What's the historic proof for that? And so those questions start coming up. Did he even actually exist? And of course, is he who he said he was? Is he who the Bible says he is? Can we trust his teaching and what he said? Are the gospels accurate? What about the inaccuracies in the Bible in the gospels? Well, Peter said that there were two, or somebody said there was two angels at the tomb. Somebody else didn't even mention any angels at the tomb. And so there's little things that different gospels in the way, I'm not gonna get into all that this morning of why there are those some seemingly differences. Did miracles really happen? Are they happening today? If they are, why aren't they happening like they were back then? Some of those questions you may be asking yourself. Where are they? So Jesus, when he was here, he asked his disciples, those who were following along with him, those that got caught up in, in believing that this guy that was saying these radical things, they were radical, that they wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to find out what this thing was all about, who he was, and what it was all about. And so the, the record of their response to who Jesus is is in the three of the Gospels, and um, especially the account in, in Luke 19. Jesus first asked those disciples, he says, first of all, who do people say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? So in Matthew 16, 13, 14, he goes on and elaborates on it, and he says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. Now you're, you're preaching. Some say others, some say you're Elijah. Of course, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, it was maybe you're the reincarnation of one of those guys. That's what people were saying Jesus was. And so it's the same today. People are asking, okay, who is Jesus? Well, he's a prophet or he was a, you know, he was a, a good teacher. He was a good moral person. We need to follow his example. Even if I don't believe he was the son of God, he, he actually, he did some great things and we should pattern our lives after him. And so people will say that. But that question is asking, same question as today. And then Jesus goes on and he asks his disciples in Luke 9.20, he says, but what about you? 
I hear the crowds. I hear what people say. What do you, what do you say? What, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, of course, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus even knew what the disciples were thinking. He's God. But sometimes what Jesus did was he would, he would ask questions in order to get them to think. That's the same, that's the same thing that people do today, and I, I'm not a counselor, but I know the basic techniques of when you're counseling or when you're talking to somebody is you don't just all of a sudden just give them the answer to their, the problem they're going through. You kind of ask some questions. Well, how do you, this, is Kevin in here right now? How does that make you feel? How do you feel about that? If you've ever been in counseling, that's probably what they, they will say to you. How does that make you feel? Or what do you feel about that? Because it's trying to get you to think about the answer to that question instead of just saying, well, this is your problem, that's it. No, get you thinking about it. So we can understand where you're com- what your view is on that. You have a frame of reference because of your life lived. And so you ask that question. Jesus knew what it was, but Jesus wanted to ask them, who do you say that I am? You see, it doesn't really matter what the world says. There's so many opinions out there. It doesn't really matter anymore the mentality of the crowd when it comes down to your life. It really comes down to what do you say and who do you say Jesus is? Not who mom and dad says Jesus is or grandma and grandpa or who Tim says or anybody else. Who do you say Jesus is? And that's what Jesus was asking his disciples. And that question, the answer to that question means everything. Then Peter answered Jesus and Peter answered Matthew 16, 16. He said, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say they am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Hmm. Peter might be on to something there. Jesus replied, and he said this. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so Jesus showed that how important this statement was and how important what Peter's response was, and because it was going to affect not only Peter, but a ripple, a tsunami effect of this very statement of who Jesus was. He says this is the very foundation. This is what everything is going to be built on. And this is what he's saying to us today. Who you say Jesus is is going to affect everything in your life and the foundation of your life from that point on when you answer that question. Now, Tim touched on a little bit last week about there are a lot of people that are deconstructing from the faith. They're walking away from God. In other words, the foundation that they built on and their families and their kids and their grandkids, all of a sudden now they're, they're questioning those things and saying, well, I don't believe that anymore and here's the reasons why. And we can dismiss them and just say, you know what, they just never were believers in the first place. Or we can dismiss them and say, oh, you know what, they just want to go out. They just want to sin is what they want to do is why they're dis- deconstructing from their faith, why they're giving up on their faith. But if you watch some of the testimonies of some of these people, they were involved, 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 not only in church, but in their testimony of their relationship with Christ. They could explain the gospel probably better than 75% of the people in this room right now. But yet something happened 
to where they started questioning some things and started to have a worldview on it and listening to a worldview, and now they're saying, I'm no longer going to believe that. There are consequences to that when you deconstruct from your faith. I'm not going to go any further on that. But what God is saying is that foundation that you build is going to affect everything in your life. It's going to also affect your kids and your grandkids generationally. It will affect you. Those who are deconstructing right now, it is going to affect their kids, their grandkids, and generations of that too. It's a very serious thing that's going on right now. So what happened when Jesus asked this? What was going on when Jesus asked this question? Well, the disciples had been walking with Jesus, and he'd seen, they'd seen him heal. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him walk on water. He had just fed 4,000, a multitude, preached the Sermon on the Mount. And so this was after all of these things. He'd seen him cast out demons, preaching repentance, all of these things they had already seen, and that's when he said to them, now, who do you say that I am? You've seen these things, who do you say that I am? You see, the disciples started understanding a little more of the depth of who he was and what he was talking about. They were starting to see a little bit more what it meant to follow this Jesus. You see, most of those who were wanting to follow someone at that time and the Messiah that they were actually expecting to come and to follow. The Jews were looking for this. It's all through the Old Testament. The prophecies concerning this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer is going to come. And so they were looking for somebody. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. And a lot of people were expecting, a lot of the Jews were thinking, what? well, is this him? Is, is this the one? And this is what they wanted the Messiah to be. Is this the one that is going to kick out Rome and rule and he is going to establish David's kingdom again. Is this the one? Is he the one? Is he the one that we're going to follow? Jesus says that the, the, the Messiah that was going to come, he's going to perform miracles, he's going to do, he's going to be a powerful influencer. And so they're thinking, is this him? Now one thing that you may not know is, is that back in that day, Jesus, you think, well, Jesus was the only one on the scene claiming to be Messiah. No, there were hundreds, if not thousands in Jesus' day, there's recorded that came on the scene saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the chosen one. And they'd, they'd come along and they'd maybe do some things and have some things to say. And then eventually they'd kind of fade away out of significance. And so Jesus wasn't the only one on the scene that was preaching to multitudes. In fact, there are historical records that some of these guys, I don't have all their names, some of these guys were actually more popular in that time than Jesus was. They drew larger crowds than Jesus did. We'll talk a little bit about that in more in a minute. So Jesus turns to them, and he's asking, who do you say that I am? And a lot of them would confess with their mouth, well, we think that you're the Messiah. You're the, you're the chosen one. You're the one that's going to restore David's kingdom. Kick out the Romans, have our own land, have the promises back of all the Old Testament prophecies that we are the ones that are the chosen ones. And here's Jesus talking about that my kingdom is not of this world. Take no thought of your life in this, in this world. Start saying some really radical stuff that they just couldn't get. Then he went on to say this. 
He said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So in their mind, all of a sudden, is what? Now they just confessed what? Peter just said what? Jesus, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He just got Jesus' attaboy, Peter. You know, flesh and blood didn't, re didn't restore this. Then Jesus says this, and he's going to die. Do you remember what Peter said after that? Be it far from you, Lord. We're going to protect you. It'll never happen to you. We'll take up arms, and we are going to protect you. And what did Jesus turn to Peter and say? Get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter, now you're having a worldview, not a biblical view of why I have come. You just confessed something, but now you're totally going and going to the worldview because you want an earthly Messiah. And that's not me. They couldn't understand it, scratching their head. So what is this meaning when he says, who do you say that I am? Now that phrase right there, you don't, we don't think much about that. If somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, you know, I'm, I'm a guitar player, or I'm a painter, or I'm a housewife, or, you know, I'm a carpenter. Uh, whatever those things, I am, I am, I am. I asked David, I said, David, are you crazy? He goes, yes, I am, <laughs> my grandson. You see, but if someone would say back in the day and say, when somebody says, as Moses was given the law and God told, Moses asked, God, God, who, who do I tell the Israelites who you are? Who do I say that you are? And God told him in Exodus, he said, I am who I am. That is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You see, I am had a bigger meaning. I am meant that I am everything. I created everything. I hold everything together. I am the God that you were to bow down and worship. I am the God that you were to follow, to give your life to. I am all I am that I am. And so when Jesus came, and he started making statements like, I am what? Next slide. The bread of life. In other words, I'm the one that was going to sustain you. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. For us, we say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, those are all things that we can apply to our Christian walk. God's going to sustain me, feed me. He's going to light my path before me. He's going to, when I go to Walmart and I pray for a parking spot, he's going to light the way for me to go because he's my light in Walmart. If I see one more, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to go off on that point. <laughs> I am the door of the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. God's going to guide me. He's going to lead me in everything. I'm the resurrection life. I'm going to heaven. Got my ticket. I'm going. I am, I am, I am. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. I can be grafted into him. And so all of these I ams, I ams, I ams, I am, I ams. But to us, we think of those things. To the Jewish mind, when somebody said, I am these things, what do they do? They picked up stones and were going to stone him because that was blasphemous to say, I am. It was blasphemous to say, I am, in the same wording that God told Moses to tell the Israelites. I am. And that's what Jesus did. They picked up stones to kill him. Now, it's kind of popular in the worldview to say that Jesus, like we said, was a good moral teacher, that he's a good example of how we should live. But those statements are absolutely meaningless if we don't acknowledge that Jesus is God because that's what he said, I am, and make him the Lord of our lives. If he's only a good teacher without any higher thought than just human authority, and what he, then what he taught really doesn't matter that much. There's lots of people that had really good opinions throughout history, good ideas throughout history. But these and all of these things and the scandalous part about Jesus is, is he says, I am God come in the flesh. That's what's scandalous about it. Mark Clark said this in The Problem of Jesus, a great book. You can get it on iBooks or whatever. It's one of the best reads I've done in a long time. I haven't quite finished it yet, but the problem with Jesus, he says, the question of Christ's divinity may, the, may be the ultimate scandal of the Christian faith. It is certainly one of the most definitive and dangerous ideas among the problems associated with Jesus. Theologian J.I. Packer, he says this, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us may not lie in the Good Friday message, which we're coming up on, of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. The greatest scandal of all of it is not about whether there was a, uh, a virgin or, or atonement or whether there's a uh, uh, death on the cross or whether Jesus rose from the dead. It really comes down to, did God Come in the flesh is Jesus actually God. That's the scandalous things about it. The reason is this question that we have. If Christianity gets this wrong, if we get this wrong, then everything else is wrong. Everything else is wrong. Yet if Christianity is right, that that means, and this is the thing that's really hard for people to get, especially with a worldview, that means that Islam is wrong, that means that Judaism is wrong, that Mormonism is wrong, and any other religion that does not acknowledge that Jesus is God come in the flesh and that Jesus is God, then what it means is, is that they're wrong. It means they're wrong. Is that scandalous or what? Is that radical or what? Because that's what it really comes down to. It's either Jesus is, and it, has, it comes to the question is, which is it? Is he or isn't he? And why does this matter so much? It matters so much because there's consequences to how you answer that question. Your eternal destiny determines how you answer that question. Some thought, like I said, back then he was a prophet. He was a 
Uh, some accused him of being a devil. Some accused him of being blasphemer. But they did accuse him of being an insurrectionist. That's why they crucified him. Because he was threatening, and they said that he was threatening to turn over Rome. And every one of those other messiahs that we talked about earlier, you know why they hung on crosses? And they went for miles. It wasn't just the three crosses. These crosses Rome set up for miles along the Roman aqueducts. And all of those people that were put on those crosses, they weren't just your common thieves or petty theft. Those were the insurrectionists. Those are the ones that were a threat, said they were the Messiah, that they were going to turn over this present kingdom that Rome had the rule of, and they were going to overturn it and restore David's kingdom. The big thing about it was, was, is that the problem is that all of those messiahs, if they were killed, why didn't they have a following after that? Because obviously they weren't a prophet because David's kingdom wasn't ushered in, Rome still in rule. So obviously they were a false messiah because they're all looking for David's kingdom to come back and rule. The difference with Jesus is that he says, my kingdom's not of this world. Why did his followers continue to follow after him? And he claimed to be res because he claimed to be resurrected from the dead. And he claimed that his kingdom wasn't of this world. And so his followers said, no, we're not looking for Rome to be overthrown. We're not looking for David's kingdom now to come back in. You see, his kingdom is being established, and he's building his church, which the gates of hell will not prevail against. So why has the longevity of Jesus' influence lasted so long? Because he was different from any other prophet or Messiah that ever walked this earth because of who he said he was. That's why there's a difference. That's why there's a difference in what religion or what creed or what worldview or biblical view we follow. That makes the where the rubber meets the road. Consequences. So the popular thing today is that, and more importantly, the popular thing is, is the answers that people come up with today is that they say that they're just on their own spiritual journey. It's just my spiritual journey. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. You've heard that say a lot. There is no objective truth. In other words, gravity, jump off a building, splat. When it comes to spiritual things, no, everything's subjective. It's how you view it, how you look at it, what you say about it. And I, who am I? It's like, who am I? Like, carry on. Who am I to say what you believe or how you live your life or any of those things? Because there is no objective, final truth any longer. They don't see it that way. And so the secular culture says it's okay to never come to some actual answers to these questions. No one can ever be told their con conclusions are wrong because they're, we're all individuals. And it's almost. Well, it's just humble just to have a, an opinion that, you know what, everybody's got their own opinion and what's good for you, that's all that matters. How you see yourself, that's all that matters. What you believe you to be, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> There's a great quote on, on Facebook, but I'm not going to, some of you probably saw it about, I don't, need to, I don't need to be a vet in order to tell what a dog is. I'll leave it right there. One leading progressive Christian author said this. This is a progressive Christian. In other words, we all can just believe what we want to believe. He said this. I'm sure I'm wrong about many things, although I'm not sure exactly which things I'm wrong about. 
I'm even sure I'm wrong about what I think I'm right about in at least some cases. How many want to sign up to listen to that guy? I have no idea what I'm saying or what I believe. I'm not sure about anything. I'm sure I'm wrong about most stuff. And even those things that I think I'm right about, I'm probably wrong. Wow. But can we have some objective answers when it comes to Jesus? Are there consequences to having a worldview about Jesus? If he's just a good moral teacher, he's just a, you know, he's a, he's a moral dude. Jesus is just all right with me. Is that really what it comes down to? According to the Bible, Jesus said this. He said that if you declare, in Romans it says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is the I am. He is Lord, maker, creator, everything. He is who he said he was. If you believe that in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, I existed before Abraham. He said, you've got to believe that. He says, I am the resurrection and life. You've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you've got to throw everything else out. And that's a scandalous thing, the most scandalous thing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, everybody say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's some big talk right there. That's some scandalous words right there. Here's the problem with Jesus. C.S. Lewis could not wrap it up. Hey, I've, I've, John, three C.S. Lewis quotes this morning. Just, just saying. John loves C.S. Lewis. Here's this. This is what C.S. Lewis, a mere Christianity, says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Well, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Everybody get that? He would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You see what it comes down to, how you view Jesus? You can't just say he's a good moral teacher because if he claimed to be God and he's not God come in the flesh, how moral is that? He's a liar. He's a heretic. He's a lunatic. So don't just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm just going to try to live like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus if you don't accept him for who he said he was. C.S. Lewis, another quote. He said this. This is a scandal. We started off with this. The scandal is that among these Jews, there turns up a man, here again, there turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God, and when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. Influence, yes. Shocking, yes. Scandalous, yes. Radical, yes. Not because he was a moral teacher, not because he was a good example, because he said, I am God, come in the flesh. And that's the problem that people have today in accepting Jesus for who he is. And that's the problem when Jesus comes to you and he asks, who do you say that I am? And who you say that he is is more than just raising your hands and saying a prayer. It's who do you say he is 
by the influence that he is having and the impact that he's having on your life and your walk. You see, because if you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it's going to affect everything. How you deal with grief, how you deal with pain, how you deal with your goals, how you deal with your kids, how you deal with your job, everything. And ultimately, it's going to have to do with how you deal with the question is, am I going to live for eternity in heaven or eternity in hell? There are consequences to the answer to that question. Who do you say that I am? The core of Christianity is all about Jesus coming and who he said he was. Are you willing to say, as Jesus said, and listen and hear this radical message that I am that I am. I am God come in the flesh. Closing right now. Um, when Kelly and I were first found out we, had, we were going to have a baby, they gave us this, there was obvious signs, but they gave us this uh, ultrasound piece of paper. Everybody got those before if you had kids? Got that ultrasound piece of paper and it's just like this flat image of yeah, I can kind of see it's a baby, but kind of hard to see. And now, Alex and Carmen, when, when Hannah was just born, they did this 3D imaging. It was like, whoa, we didn't have that back in our day. You could see her little face and her mouth and eyes and everything, 3D and all of that. It was awesome to see that. But then when Hannah was born, and we have her, we're holding her right in our arms right there, that was what all of that was for. The person of Hannah Banana. Now, we may go back and look once in a while at the images, but we don't go around carrying those images around and say, this is, this is, this is, this is Hannah. Kind of see what she's like. You see, with God, the Old Testament, all the things that he said about leading up to the incarnation of God coming in the flesh was, those were kind of like that, those images kind of see what God's like, what his plan is, everything like that. Now all of a sudden Jesus comes and says, I am. Everything you've been looking for, everything you've been waiting for, I am he. This is what it's all about. This is God come in the flesh. Now we can look back on it. We can go to the Bible and see what Jesus talked about himself. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and all you've got is just maybe some scriptures that you've memorized or whatever, that's not enough. That's not what Jesus came for. He wanted to be your personal savior, your Lord, Everything for your life, I am everything to you. Question is, is that who he is? Amen.